episode of the Women in Oxford's History podcast. I'm Bethany. And I'm Alice. And this month we'll be looking at the life of another woman who has contributed to Oxford's history. This month we're joined again by Liz Woolley, an Oxfordshire local historian, and she's here to talk to us about Felicia Skeen, um, who's a really interesting character in Oxford's history. Thank you so much for joining us, Liz. How was it that you came across Felicia? How did you become interested in her? I was first interested in her, or first came across her, I suppose, because I'm very interested in the parish of St Thomas in Oxford, which is just to the west of the city centre, a very ancient working class parish. And part of Felicia's story, um, an important part of it, is to do with St Thomas's. So that's how I first came across her. And she was in the Victorian period. She was born in 1821. Um, She came to Oxford in the 1840s. And really, Victorian society, I think, was very much reliant on charitable works by women in particular, and often women of Christian faith, which Felicity Skeen certainly was. And in terms of school provision, in terms of charity, in terms of health care, what we now call social work, women did a lot. And Oxford was particularly well endowed with very well-educated middle-class women who were the wives, the sisters, the daughters of academics. But of course, because of their class, they weren't able to work in a paid capacity. And so what they did was they turned their considerable intellect and also their organisational skills, because of course they were used to organising households, they turned these skills and talents to charity work. And so Oxford was particularly well endowed with charities and with women who worked for them in a voluntary capacity, very often driven by their Christian faith, not always. And Felicia Skeen was one of those, but she was to some extent different in that she didn't join a particular charity. She didn't found one or join one. To to some extent, she sort of ploughed her own furrow, I think. And that's one of the things that I find interesting about her. And she was quite an unusual and individual person within that world. Great. So do you think we could maybe go back a bit then and you could give us an introduction to her early life, her childhood and how she grew up? Yes, Felicia was born actually in France in 1821, and she was the youngest of seven children. Her father was a lawyer, he was Scottish, James Skeen, and his wife Jane, who was actually the daughter of a baronet. So she had a a fairly sort of well-to-do, a very well-to-do background. She actually spent quite a lot of her early childhood in Paris, and then the family moved to Edinburgh. And in both those places, she really moved in sort of high-class circles, if you like, court circles to, to some extent. Um, And she knew a lot of well-known and famous people. The novelist Sir Walter Scott, for example, was a great friend of her father. um, And she spent quite a bit of time with him. And her family then moved to Greece, to Athens in the 1830s, uh, where again she sort of moved in high circles. And then they came back to Britain, divided their time between Scotland and Leamington Spa in the Midlands. And it was there that she met a man called Thomas Chamberlain. He was from Oxford and he was actually the vicar of St Thomas's, which, as I mentioned, is this very working class parish sort of light industrial parish on the outskirts of Oxford city centre, just to the west. And it was really Thomas Chamberlain who encouraged her to come to Oxford. She came with the rest of her family in 1848 to settle here and to start what we would now call social work in St Thomas's parish and also um, more widely in the rest of the city of Oxford. What did she become involved with when she moved to Oxford? Well, she became very much involved in the life of the church in St Thomas's, which was a very high church, Anglo-Catholic church. 
And she also became friendly with Marion Hughes, who was actually Thomas Chamberlain's cousin, who was a, a nun, an Anglican nun, and had founded a convent in St Thomas's. Now, Felicia herself did not feel drawn to become a nun. She felt that, that living that life was, would be too restricting for her. But instead, she decided, and certainly with Marion and um, Thomas Chamberlain's encouragement and involvement, she decided very much to get involved with working with the poor families, the many poor families that lived in St Thomas's Parish. So visiting the poor, um, visiting the sick in particular, this is one of the most deprived areas of Oxford, and it suffered very, very badly during the cholera and smallpox outbreaks of the late 1840s and early 1850s. And it was really in this period that Felicia sort of came into her own, if you like, and, and found her vocation, I suppose you might call it, and Sir Henry Ackland, who was a very famous Oxford physician, he was very much involved in trying to deal with these cholera epidemics. She came to his attention and became the prime nurse, I suppose, although she wasn't a qualified nurse, but the prime sort of nursing person in these cholera and smallpox outbreaks. And Sir Henry Ackland was very, very um, complimentary towards her about the work that she did there. She organised bands of other women to nurse. Um, she was sort of fearless in the way that she went into these very poor areas, which weren't always particularly safe to enter, but she did so seemingly without fear and without hesitation. And as he said, by day and by night, she plied her task, in other words, nursing. And when she rested or where, only she, she alone herself knows so in other words, she was tireless in this work that she carried out. Did she get involved in any social work more broadly outside of St Thomas's? Yeah, she did. She took a, a great interest in rescuing, as she would have called it, tramps and vagrants, so people who, who we would now describe as being homeless, of which there were many in Oxford, because Oxford was a, a bit of a magnet um, for people who were, were travelling in that way. And also girls from prostitution, because of course, again, because of the large student population, Oxford had a very large... Um, population of prostitutes as well uh, and obviously both those kinds of people you know lived very fairly precarious and somewhat dangerous lives but again Felicia sort of fearlessly got involved with them and she wrote very very sympathetically about them and about their lives and about how they had fallen as she would put it into that life through no fault of her own and certainly with the the tramps and vagrants as they were called in those days she had a great understanding of of the fact that they sometimes desired to be sort of unfettled, unfettered, sorry, by settling down somewhere, and yet they still needed help, and she she gave that help seemingly without judging them, which in those days was you know was not necessarily that common, and of course one of the things that often happened to people like that, particularly prostitutes, was that they ended up in jail, and this drew Felicia to her prison work, which was is probably what she's best known for, and which she has a sort of national reputation for so she started visiting prisoners women prisoners in particular Oxford's city jail which was on Gloucester Green at the time and then when that closed in 1878 she um, transferred to what was then the county jail which was in what's now uh, which is in the Oxford prison on New Road uh, sorry Oxford Castle and prison on New Road and here she actually became the first woman in England to be officially appointed as a prison visitor uh, she went twice a week. She very often took her little dog with her, Tatters, who was her constant companion. And she would provide comfort and advice to inmates. She she um, played the harmonium and the organ in the prison chapel. And perhaps most importantly, she was very proactive and thoughtful in that she actually met newly released female prisoners 
at the gates of the prison when they were let out very early in the morning, six o'clock. She would take them back to her home, which was in St. Michael Street in the centre of Oxford, and give them breakfast and other practical assistance. So, for example, a suit of clothes, um, some more food. And she would very often have found them a job, some kind of employment which would help them to keep off the streets in future. So she was very sort of practical in her help towards women prisoners in particular. But she also was very much um, an advocate and a campaigner for prison reform. So she campaigned for prisons to be used for rehabilitation rather than for punishment. And this was a movement that was getting going at the time. She campaigned for the abolition of the death penalty and for the decriminalisation of suicide. And she wrote about her experiences of prison, which, which were regular and, you know, and, and real, uh, in a series of articles and pamphlets and in a novel, which she's quite well known for, called Hidden Depths, which is a sort of fictional exposure of prostitution in Oxford in which she's, she presents a very sympathetic view of women's lives, women who've been forced into prostitution and points out very strongly that it's not their fault and that they were, you know, it's circumstances that have drawn them there and not their immorality or their poverty or anything else. She used, to, she was a successful writer and she used the money that she earned from writing, both the fiction and non-fiction, um, and also from her translation work because of course, of, because of her early life, she spoke several European languages and she used her income to finance uh, her philanthropic work. So she she was very much sort of self-supporting, but using the money that she she earned to help others. So do we have any sense of what she was like as a person? Yes, I think we do. I mean, I think her, her philanthropic work was very much driven by her strong Christian faith. But I think she also had a very, very practical side to her and a very down-to-earth side to her and a very non-judgmental side to her. And she had a, a rare gift for befriending members of both town and gown in Oxford. So she enjoyed the company of eminent university figures, like Sir Henry Ackland, for example, and also undergraduates, um, who she would entertain at her home. But she also kept an open house for the destitute at her home in the centre of Oxford. And people were of all types were to be found there at all times of day and night. And that was quite unusual, really. She spent a lot of time... Uh, traveling around the city on foot and in fact Sir Henry Ackland in the mistaken impression that she could ever be lonely once gave her two free roaming parrots and these accompanied her on her visits around the city so she must have been quite a kind of noticeable figure with this little dog that she had as well and I think people everybody knew her uh, and people really viewed her almost as a kind of living saint to to some to some degree um, she had lots of admirers. She stayed a spinster all her life, though in fact apparently one devoted suitor proposed to her annually for 18 years. I don't know whether he gave up in the end or died of a broken heart, but she never married. Um, and she, she seemed to have great sort of humility. She said of herself, I'm like the Martyrs Memorial, which is a, a memorial in the centre of Oxford. Everyone knows me, but nobody is interested in me. Do you think that's a fair comment? It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because we weren't there at the time, but she was certainly written about by several people, um, several eminent people, um, as being extremely useful in Oxford. And so I don't think it's true to say that nobody's interested in her. Maybe she just meant that she would prefer it to get on with her work quietly um, without making a fuss about it. And I think that's one of the things that attracts me to her, is her sort of down-to-earth personality. 
Could you tell us a little bit about her later life and how she died and how she's now remembered in Oxford? Yeah, so as far as I know, she continued all this amazing work right up until um, her death, pretty much. She died of bronchitis in 1899 when she was 78, and she's buried in St Thomas's Churchyard, the church that she um, had attended uh, all that time, for 50 years, I suppose. Um, so her gravestone is there. There's also a brass tablet in the cathedral at Christchurch which commemorates her, and there's a memorial window to her in the chapel of St Edward's School because St Edward's School in North Oxford was founded by her friend Thomas Chamberlain and she was very actively involved with that school for many years and in fact to pupils and staff she was affectionately known as the school godmother which I think is a rather lovely phrase. Uh, Skeen Close in Headington was named after her in 1992 and there's also a blue plaque on what was her house at 34 St Michael's Street in the centre of Oxford. Brilliant, thanks so much Liz for, for coming to talk to us. Thank you for listening to Women in Oxford's History. Join us again next month when we'll explore the life of another woman in Oxford's past, 